Hey, good morning. Will you guys stand up with us?
morning. We're glad you guys are here with us. Let's continue bringing glory to our Savior this morning. Amen.
worship you. We give you glory and honor and praise. And this morning, Lord, as we take our offering, I pray that you would be glorified. God, that you would help us to see um, that it's not what we have given or what we can give that brings you glory. Uh, surely it is, it's the, the state of our heart. It's the, it's the attitude of worship that we bring to you. Because, God, you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied and, and filled with joy in you. And Lord, you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. God with us, Emmanuel, to display your glory among the world. God, be lifted up this morning as we give and as we continue to sing to you, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.
we do trust in you. We dwell in you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you have come down to us through your son, Jesus. And even as he's gone back up to you, Lord, you have left us as believers with your presence through your Holy Spirit. And we can praise you for that. Uh, What a glorious God we serve. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I just sense the Holy Spirit's already doing some work in us, and I pray that that will continue as we look at His Word together. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you're with us. I want to share with you a couple things coming up. If you have a Bible, first of all, get to Exodus chapter 5. Um, next Sunday, the 20th, uh, and then Christmas Eve at 4.30 in the afternoon, we'll be celebrating Christmas on both of those times together. So we'd love for you to come be a part of those times Invite uh, friend, friends, invite family. Christmas Eve has got to be probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, uh, service of the year. So we'd love to be alongside you that night and that afternoon. Then on the 27th, we'll be back in Exodus looking at the Passover. That's a family service. We're giving our Sun Chaser volunteers a, a Christmas break, if you will, a rest that day, an opportunity for us to be together as a church family, to sing, to look at the Word together together. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that day as well. Also, if you haven't got a study guide for your uh, adults or student uh, yet, I'd encourage you to do that. We're in a series of a 12-week series that will take us through February. They're four bucks for an adult version or a student version. Great opportunity to get into the Word, to look at it the other six days of the week, and, uh, and, and to just talk about it the other six days of the week. So get those resources. If you're in a community group that maybe is off this month, but will then gear back up in January or February, you'll need that resource. So get that after the service. We're in week two of a series called God Delivers. And we're in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, for quite a while here. Last week, we looked at Exodus 1 through 3. The Hebrew nation, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has grown and multiplied significantly. They're in a land that is not their own, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, gets nervous about this growing group of people and as a result, enslaves them, makes their lives very, very difficult. He seeks to oppress them in order to control them. And yet the nation continues to grow. God's people continue to flourish in numbers. Persecution can never stop God's ability to work, move, do what he plans to accomplish. The nation is enslaved. And then God calls Moses, the Hebrew, who once lived in Pharaoh's palace to return and lead lead God's people out of slavery. What we saw last week is that God responds to his people. God listens to the cries of of the enslaved Israelites and promises to them deliverance and freedom, that the slavery won't be the end of the story. Just as God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so he will be faithful to them. But the slavery is not going to end overnight. On TV and movies, we love when things get neatly resolved, don't we? We don't necessarily like to go to a movie and go, 
oh, I've got to wait two years before you resolve that storyline. We like to see when the conflict or the tension that the character goes through is kind of neatly tied up with a bow. We like that. We don't like it when the character has to walk through difficulty or opposition for very long. In the story of Exodus, freedom for the captives won't happen by chapter 4. It won't happen for years. And yet, though God's, uh, God's deliverance may linger, it will come to pass. It will happen. God will be faithful. If God said it will happen, it will happen. So I'm not sure what you're facing this morning. I'm not sure what you're going through that you wonder when this will end. But if you're trusting in Christ, He is faithful to not only see you through it, but to be present with you in it. He will not forsake those who love and trust in Him. He will not walk out on you, but rather He will walk with you because He's a good God. His nature and character is good. In Him exists no evil at all. This last week, Eric and I were talking and, uh, and one thing he mentioned to me, and I thought it was so good and such good encouragement for us as we make this three-year journey through Genesis to Revelation, but he's noticing how gracious and good God has been even in the book of Genesis and then as we get into Exodus. Sometimes the first blush impression of the Old Testament God is that he is cruel and vindictive and that the New Testament God is warm and fuzzy, right? But the reality is, is that neither of those impressions are accurate according to Scripture, Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the I am that we looked at last week, his character has not changed. He is just, holy, majestic, kind, grace, love, all of those things. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is eternal. All of those things, Old Testament, New Testament, for all of time. So as we make this journey through the Scriptures, allow the Bible to define to us who our God is. Allow the Scriptures to kind of define that rather than us defining that. And don't miss the grace of God along the way. Don't miss the grace of God even in the tragedy, even in the judgment, even in the salvation, even in the waiting and the struggle of the enslaved people like the Israelites. Because I don't want us to miss the grace of God in our lives. We can be so focused sometimes, right, on what's wrong, on, on on what's not happened, Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this timing right? All of those things, instead of the grace of God that we miss, we lift up that circumstance, we lift up the the opposition greater than the grace of God that is in the midst of it, all of it. So last week we looked at the uh, story, we left off the story in, uh, in Exodus 3, where God calls Moses from a burning bush and says, I love Moses' response, he says, here I am. I'm available. I won't run and hide. I won't flee. I'm here, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak to me. The Lord tells him in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses says, Who am I? And God says, But I will be with you. And then tells Moses, I am who I am. I'm so great. I'm so incomparable. I'm so beyond anything you've ever known. I will be the one to work through you. It will be my power at work through you, Moses. And we might think when we hear that, that Moses then will face no discouragement. I mean, the great I am is with him. So Pharaoh is going to cave in a heartbeat. Because Moses obeys, 
He won't go through any struggle, any opposition, any discouragement. But many of us who are familiar with the story know that Moses will still have times of discouragement, including today. We'll see them later in Exodus as well, even after they've been freed from the Egyptians. I think this is so huge for us to be reminded of today because I think there's this temptation in us that when we believe, uh, we be, when we begin to follow Jesus, trust in Him, trust in the cross, surrendering to His Lordship, we begin to believe that everything will be smooth sailing. Or we think that, well, we've been following Jesus for decades. Trouble shouldn't come our way. And there is a camp out there that would believe that, that if you're going through difficulty, it's just because of your lack of faith. But one thing we've seen thus far in Genesis is that when God's people obey Him, they still have times of discouragement. They still have times of disappointment or waiting. Maybe you're just beginning to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Lord has stepped into your life and you're trusting in the cross. You've received His grace. Listen, Jesus didn't promise that now you would be trouble-free in following Him. He did promise, though, that He has overcome the world, that He is the great I Am, and that any power, that He's above any power or thing on this earth, under the earth, above the earth. So even in the valley, especially in the valley, He is present with us, and we can trust in Him. So maybe the season of the year of all times is kind of exaggerated the discouragement in your life. It happens for a lot of people for various reasons. I pray the Lord would encourage your heart this morning through His Word. And so when we have these times of discouragement, what do we do? How do we respond? We'll see today in Exodus how Moses will be reminded of God's glory and power even in the times of discouragement, even when he faces opposition. Maybe you're facing some sort of opposition right now as you're seeking to follow the Lord. Maybe members of your family are just kind of really antagonistic to you and your newfound faith. Maybe your boss or coworker is asking you to do something unethical to help the bottom line. Maybe you've got a friend and they're, they're like labeling you goody two-shoes because you're actually living out your faith publicly and not keeping it to yourself in a private sort of way. I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure what you're facing, but the Holy Spirit does. And I pray again through the Word of God, He would encourage your heart this morning. The Lord told Moses in chapter 3 that Pharaoh won't be compelled to let the people go by words, by the words of Moses alone. That the Lord would have to stretch out his hand and strike Egypt with powerful wonders. Chapter 4 continues this dialogue between Moses and the Lord. Moses continuing to give excuses as to why he, he can't be used of God and I can't speak very well and I'm slow of speech and those kind of things. And and yet God continuing to show him grace and point him back to that, listen, Moses, I am the Lord is the one who's going to do the work. And so the Lord, by his grace, brings Aaron alongside Moses to, to complement this work, to, to, for them to be alongside one another. Even that is such a good picture for us, that we are not intended to pursue the things of God by ourselves. We don't pursue the mission of God alone. We do it alongside one another. It's, it's the New Testament picture of the local church being a family, of being a body where every member or part of the body is doing their work, and it's never, a part, never about just one part or one member, but rather about the collective, corporate family of God in unity alongside one another, pursuing the things of God and His mission. 
And we see how the Lord used Moses and Aaron to complement one another and balance one another, if you will. And so together, <clears throat> Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt. Exodus 4.21 says this, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. <clears throat> so Moses and Aaron know it won't be easy. They know they're going to face opposition, and they're still willing to obey. They're still willing to go, even if they know it's not going to be easy. They're still willing to walk by faith. The road is not clearly marked out for them. They don't know how it's going to go down, but they know the one who does. And so they trust in Him. They trust in God and God's wisdom and God's power and not their own. What's the Lord asking you to do right now? Where is He asking you to walk in faith and not by sight? Where is He asking you to deepen your trust in Him? And one reason you might be hesitating is that it's going to require you to change. It's going to require you to be open to God's work in, his, in your life in a different sort of way. It will require you to walk through something difficult, and yet it will be for His glory and for your good. I pray that we as a church would be a people who would be willing to walk by faith, be willing to obey when God asks us to obey. And we'd be willing because we know who our God is, even, when, if, even if we don't know how it's going to be clearly marked out. God does. And so we worship Him, we follow Him, we trust in Him. Listen, we're not pawns in His game. We're children in His family who He deeply loves and cares for. So He's going to use us, but not as pawns, but as children for our good and for His mission, for His glory. In today's section of reading, God is going to reveal His glory in three ways, by challenging the powerful, by confronting His people, or by comforting His people, and then by confronting the false gods of Egypt. And when God reveals His glory, it's going to be this encouragement to us, especially if we are like Moses, walking through times of discouragement or facing some opposition. Chapter 5 opens with Moses and Aaron speaking to Pharaoh, Verse 1, and God is going to reveal His glory by challenging the powerful. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What, we can take a step back. What boldness for Moses and Aaron. They're confronting the leader of the most powerful nation on the planet, the one who has enslaved all their people, who could strike them dead right there, the one who basically has all the power, earthly power. But why the boldness? So why the boldness? Because the great I am is with them, because he said, but I will be with you. If you read in the book of Acts, the early church is starting. It's the story of the early church starting. And you see this group of people who are, radical in their loving boldness. In Acts 4, they actually pray for boldness. They say this, they, they enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. We see that same spirit in Moses and Aaron here, right? Lord, stretch out your hand. Lord, give us great boldness because you are with us. 
The early church recognized the Holy Spirit was with them. Moses and Aaron recognized that the Lord is with them. In verse 2, you see this clear indication of Pharaoh's heart, don't you? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know this Lord. And we read that and go, man, it's such an arrogant and proud response. And yet for those of us who are Christ followers, this was us before we met Jesus. Before we got saved, we were our own lords. We obeyed our own voice, not God's word, not God's voice. We didn't know the Lord. Some of you here, some of watching online, you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. This is still you. This is your response to God right now. I don't know this God. Who is this Lord that I should obey His voice? Listen, don't allow your pride or your sin or past hurt or your perception of what Christians are. Don't allow those kind of things to keep you from receiving the grace of God, this gracious invitation, this free gift of salvation that He has offered through His Son. Continuing in verse 3, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? See, God wants for His people, He wants them freed up to worship. Because in worship, they will find rest. They will find delight. Pharaoh, or our spiritual enemy, wants the people enslaved. Where there's no joy, there's no delight, there's no freedom. Again, you see, our God is good. You see, the desires of our God for His people is freedom, burden, enslavement. That's associated with the enemy. With our God, it's delight, it's freedom, it's joy, it's rest. Do you see this? Exodus uh, 5 Verse 6 then. In the same Pharaoh, uh, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. In his pride, Pharaoh responds to the, to the Lord by inflicting even greater burden, greater enslavement, greater work upon the people. Maybe some of you who are rejecting the Lord right now maybe are a bit like Pharaoh. You're also kind of taking it out on other people. You're hostile at at worst, or at best, you're passive-aggressive toward your spouse, toward your children, toward friends, when friends share their faith, or when when someone says, hey, I'm praying for you. You you just kind of resist that because it's convicting. It doesn't sit well with your heart. God's Word tells us that the Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You and I are in desperate need of grace. So choose humility over pride. Don't follow the the pattern of Pharaoh here. Choose humility instead of pride. 
So Moses and Aaron are so bold, challenged Pharaoh, and it doesn't get better. It actually gets worse for the slaves. They're asked to produce the same amount of bricks, but with less resources, with a more difficult process, and the slaves, understandably, are not thrilled with this new development. Verse 20, they, the, the slaves, met Moses and Aaron, the people met, met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They don't respond well to this development. And so Moses and Aaron decide to fix this on their own. They resolve to fix this on their own. They resolve to work together to figure out a plan of how to overcome this, right? Now, verse 22 says this, Then Moses turned to the Lord. He prayed. He went to the one who promised to do the work, who promised to be with him in the midst of the work, and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I love the honesty of Moses' prayer here. And listen, God is almighty. He's able to handle honest. He already knows our thoughts and words before we say them, before we think them. So why do we try and hide? Instead, we approach the throne of God in prayer with confidence, in reverence, in expectation, and in honesty. Moses cries out to God. Again, we see that when God's people struggle, when they're facing opposition, when they're discouraged, they don't run away from God. They don't try to fix it on their own. They don't need, I need some time to think about this. No, we need to pray. We need to get before God and ask Him to do a work in us. It's not about us. It's not about us retreating to the corner. I need some time. No, you need time with the Lord is what you need. You need to get before God. Cry out to the one who has saved you. That's where we need to turn. That's where we need to run. Because God is all-knowing and all-powerful and invites us to pray. So we we pray to the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful. And as we pray, we trust in God's timing and in His ways. The obedience to God and the boldness of of Moses and Aaron, all of that, it doesn't make the situation better. Yet. It will, but not yet. John Piper said this often, when, when God is about to bring a glad experience into your life, He lets it be preceded by a very discouraging setback. The burden of bondage in Egypt became heaviest just before the great day of liberation. The day of liberation will come We will get to it. Throughout the Scriptures, you see God's people often pray to God in a sense, why are you waiting? Why are you lingering? Why hasn't this happened yet? The little book of Habakkuk, three chapters long, minor prophet. You should look at it. You read it in one sitting. But it it describes this tension that Habakkuk the prophet's going through. Why Why is this lingering? And in the end, it's not neatly resolved. And yet, Habakkuk's heart has been changed. Look at it this week. It's a great little story of of someone trusting in God's timing, God's ways. So in the waiting, in the discouragement, when it seems that it's only gotten worse and not gotten better, remember, God is still good. 
He's still at work. His glory is still being revealed. His power is still on display, and we see him next reveal his glory by comforting his people. Exodus 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Throughout this section, the Lord keeps with these, keep saying these two phrases, I am and I will. I am and I will. I am, I am the Lord. I am God Almighty. I am who I am. I've not ceased to be God because of little Pharaoh is huffing and puffing and trying to blow the house down. I know it's gotten worse, but I will be faithful. I haven't forgotten you. I am and I will. Verse 9 is sobering, is it not? God Almighty has poured courage out upon his people. I am, I will, I am, and I will. All these reminders of who he is and all the reminders of what he's going to do. And they don't even listen to it because they're so broken in spirit. They're so focused on the slavery and their harsh circumstances. We can't be like the Israelites here. We've got to be people who fix our eyes on Jesus day in and day out. When the circumstances are great, and when the circumstances are not. The Israelites were lifting up the discouragement, lifting up the opposition, lifting up all of that greater than the great I am. And we're tempted to do the exact same thing. To lift up whatever it is and fix our eyes on that instead of fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. The great I am. The I am, and as a result, He will. His power is superior to all other powers. When we look at the sunset, when we look at a sunrise, when we look at the stars on a crystal clear winter night, we see the glory of God declared. We see the the handiwork. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. God is reminding His people about who He is. I am the same God who is with your fathers. I am almighty, meaning I have all the might to do whatever I desire to do. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Isaiah 46.9 at the end of it says this, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And as a result of God saying, I am, God says, I will. We're going to look at four statements that He says here that speak to the realities that we have in a relationship with Jesus. Verse 6 says this, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. This speaks to the truth of liberation. 
the Hebrews will be set free from bondage. No more chains, no more heavy burden, no more beatings from the slave masters. We see this truth spoken about in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, that we're set free not to live for ourselves, but to live for God, to worship God, to love others, to serve others. Because we can't fix our eyes on Jesus and worship Him, and at the same time, fix our eyes on our sin. We can't fix our eyes on Jesus, and at the same time, fix our eyes on the past on how we messed up and how we fell short. Yes, we need to recognize that. But the grace of God is greater than our sin. So we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. We are liberated from sin to be set free to serve Jesus. Later in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. This speaks to our redemption in Christ, that through the cross, the Lord has purchased us back. Jesus has paid the price for our ransom, His death for our life, His blood for our forgiveness. The Israelites will be redeemed from their slavery. The Lord will purchase them back, and He'll do it with great power and great acts, just as in Christ, the great act of the cross is what redeems us. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This speaks to our adoption in Christ. The Lord says, I will take you to be my people. There is a personal nature to our God here. Don't miss this. I will be your God. Not just that you've been liberated and redeemed, but you've been adopted. You've been brought near. You were once an orphan, but, in your, but through your faith in Christ, you're now a son or daughter of the king. Once without a home, but now a home, now a family, now a father, now security, now assurance, a new last name, a new identity. Yes, God saves the individual, but in doing so, he saves us to a family. It's completely against the American view of individualism and, and Christianity. He saves us to a family, to a body, to be a part of something. Not to run to the corner, but to run to the body. To run to be a part of the family. An eternal family that loves and serves Him. Our God is almighty and yet personal and relational. We see this personal nature of our God. I will take you to be my people. Then verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for for a possession. I am the Lord. This speaks to our inheritance in Christ. The Hebrews won't just be set free, but they've been promised this promised land. So not only for those who are in Christ are we set free, are we liberated and redeemed and adopted, but now we have this glorious inheritance in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 speaks to it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This inheritance can't be taken away, even in the face of discouragement, even in the face of death, even in the face of opposition and persecution. This is one idea when Paul's speaking about when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either way, I'm good. Either way, I get Jesus. I have an inheritance that won't be taken away. Either way, God's glory is going to be revealed. Ephesians 1 will be a great chapter for you to spend time in this week. 
speaking of all four of these realities, all these realities that we have in Christ, Ephesians 1. Now we're going to jump to uh, chapter 7 in Exodus, and we'll see that God reveals His glory by uh, confronting false gods. We'll read the first, uh, there's ten plagues here, we'll read the first one, I'd encourage you to read the rest this week, starting in uh, verse 14 in chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all the pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Again, this is the first of ten plagues. Exodus 8 through 10 uh, this week would tell you the others. I encourage you to read them as we journey through Exodus. But in all of them, you will see this. Moses and Aaron obeyed. You'll see God's display His power and His glory over the counterfeit magicians of Egypt. And sadly, you'll also see the hardening of Pharaoh's heart continually over and over. You'll see this phrase repeated as God strikes these plagues upon Egypt. You'll see this phrase, you shall know that I am the Lord. This is the point of the plagues, that the Egyptians would know who God truly is, that they'd respond to the glory of God and and avoid judgment and avoid um, judgment and receive the grace of God. You shall know that I am the Lord, he says, that there's no other God besides me. He not only is revealing that in the plagues, but he's doing it elsewhere in Scripture. Listen to these. Isaiah 44, 6. (coughs) Sorry. uh, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. The worship team could come back up now. In this section of Exodus, in the midst of these plagues, there's a battle of wills going on, is there not? In one corner, it's 
thus says the Lord. In the other corner, it's thus says Pharaoh. The God of all gods and the man-made gods of Egypt. The true miraculous power of our God and the man-made magician power that won't last. And this battle will end. <clears throat> it will end with the great I am in victory, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Besides him, there is no God. There is no compare. Our God is victorious in the end. <clears throat> Nothing can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your sin doesn't enslave you if you're in Christ. Your past doesn't define you if you're in Christ. The fallen world that we live in, it's not the end. Revelation 21 and 22 is this massive reminder to us that God's plans will succeed. God's mission will not fail. We have nothing to fear because of that. Even in times of discouragement, even in times when our obedience doesn't make it better, even when it leads to greater difficulty, we can trust in God who is almighty and yet came to us at Christmas to make a way possible for us to be rescued. In that time of discouragement or opposition, don't lose sight of who God is, that He is the great I am, and as a result, He will. I am, I will. God is not a forgetful God. He's not a weak God. He's not an absent Father. In Exodus 6-7, it says this, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Be encouraged, Christ follower. If the Lord is, if, if you're in Christ, the Lord is your God and you are his people. And if you don't know Jesus, trust in him today. He desires for you to be a part of his family. He desires to be your God. His heart for you is to surrender, to be humble before him. Instead, turning from this desire to be your own God and turn to the one true God, the God of the Bible, that through his son makes a way possible for us to have relationship with him. Respond to that invitation of grace today, even as we sing. Let's stand up and sing and worship our God.
Father, this week I pray that we would be reminded of your greatness, your majesty, whatever we are facing, whether discouragement, opposition, or whether smooth sailing, green light after green light. God, I pray that in the midst of all of that, that our trust in you would increase, our faith in you would increase, our worship of you would only increase, that we would continually elevate you greater and greater in our life, allowing Scripture to define who you are and as a result worship you for who you are. Thank you for your grace, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for the way that you pursue us. And we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next Sunday, Christmas Eve, both of those, we'd love for you to be a part of those. Uh, Get your resources afterwards. And then also, Heart House. Uh, They are doing a Tree of Hearts campaign. They are short of toys. This is an opportunity for, for families in this Woodford County to be served. They would love toys by tomorrow morning before they start wrapping them. So, new toys, unwrapped toys, drop them off at the Heart House today. If the Lord would give you the opportunity to do that, meet someone new. God bless. Have a great week.